Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, Elon Musk is now the richest person on the planet. More than half the satellites in space are owned and controlled by one man. Starting his own artificial intelligence company. Well, he's a legitimate super genius. Legitimate. He says he's always voted for Democrats, but this year it will be different. He'll vote Republican. There is a reason the U.S. government is so reliant on him. Elon Musk is a scam artist, and he's done nothing. Anything he does is fascinating to people. Welcome to Elon Inc., where we discuss Elon Musk's vast corporate empire, his latest gambits and antics, and how to make sense of it all. I'm your host, David Papadopoulos. This week, we'll discuss some of the fallout from Musk's dramatic appearance at the New York Times Dealbook Conference. One of many noteworthy moments is when Elon began talking politics. I'm not saying I'd vote for Trump, but I mean, this is definitely a difficult choice, yeah. It's not news that Elon has been moving to the right in the past few years, but it's been a complicated turn. It doesn't fit neatly with his leadership on electrifying vehicles to address climate change. But on the other hand, he's taken an anti-woke stance in his post on X, among other moves, like moving some of his manufacturing to Texas. Oh, and he also told advertisers to go fuck themselves. We'll come back to that. To figure out what Elon's role could be in American politics as we enter a presidential election year, we have Sarah Fryer, who leads our big tech team here at Bloomberg. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Dana Hull, who covers Tesla, among other Musk projects. Dana. Hey, hey. And Max Chafkin, senior reporter at Bloomberg Businessweek. Hello. Okay, so a moment ago, we played a bit of Musk discussing who he would vote for next year with Aaron Ross Sorkin at the New York Times Dealbook Conference. Here's that full exchange. Could you see yourself voting for President Biden? If, if, it's, if it's a Biden-Trump election, for example? I think I would not vote for Biden. <laughs> You'd vote for Trump? I'm not saying I'd vote for Trump, but I mean, this is definitely a difficult choice, yeah, you know. Would, <laughs> would, you, uh, would you vote for Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley, by the way, wants uh, all social media names to be exposed, as you know. No, I think that's outrageous. Yeah, no, I'm not going to vote for some pro-censorship candidate. Okay, Dana, so let's start with just a primer on Elon's political leanings. Well, I mean, I think as we've all said, they're, they're complicated. He does not neatly fit into a box. And I think he's really a political chameleon who kind of waxes and wanes depending on how it impacts his businesses and his personal fortune. So... When Tesla was a young company that was really struggling for survival and President Obama was elected and the Recovery Act poured millions of dollars into Silicon Valley companies that were investing into clean tech, Tesla was a big beneficiary of that. And, you know, Musk was widely viewed as kind of like a left-leaning climate change champion. And then uh, we, you know, fast forward, Trump is elected in 2016. We have the pandemic and Musk 
kind of more publicly move towards the right. Um, I think the clip that you just heard really speaks to this longstanding beef that Musk has had with President Biden that goes way back to like August of 2021 when Biden invited Detroit automakers to the White House to kind of celebrate electric vehicles and Tesla was notably not invited. Yeah. And that is like this snub that still eats away at him. Yeah, it still, still sticks in his craw. And we're going we're gonna to dive in depth into that in one second. But before we do, Max, chameleon is a term I've heard you also use a lot for Musk and his political and his politics. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, Dan, I didn't mention, but of course, George W. Bush was uh, president, you know, during the early days of SpaceX and during Musk's early engagement with Tesla. And and there was sort of an er- even earlier era of, of Musk talking about Tesla and his whole, his whole empire in kind of vaguely libertarian. In terms, I mean, people think of him as this environmentalist, but early on, the whole pitch from Tesla was that it was a better sports car than a Porsche. Elon right. was a uh, Porsche driver, and he was like, "I'm going to make, I'm going to make a car that's even better than this." And and I think that was kind of, um, you know, pitch to appeal to the kind of George W. Bush, you know, compassionate conservatism. So he's he's moved over the years, and and I think what's what's sort of notable about the Biden beef that that Dan is bringing up here is sort of just how wrong-footed Elon Musk has been. He he this is like the first time since the Bush administration mm. where he hasn't been able to find a way to get on good terms with the person who's in the White House. Everyone wants to talk about the snub. So let let's go into it. Elon at at Dealbook spoke at length about it and sort of spoke about it in kind of somewhat raw terms. It's clearly still uh, very personal to him. I mean with, without any doing nothing to provoke the Biden administration, they held an electric vehicle summit at the White House and specifically refused to let Tesla attend. This was in the first six months of the administration. And we inquired, we're like, we literally make more electric cars than everyone else combined. Why are we not allowed? Why are you only letting Ford, GM, Chrysler, and UAW? And you're specifically disallowing us from the EV summit at the White House. We've done nothing to provoke them. Then Biden went on to add insult to injury and publicly said that GM was leading the electric car revolution. This was in the same quarter that Tesla made 300,000 electric cars and GM made 26. Does that seem fair to you? So, Dana, you can you indeed can hear in his voice how it still really bothers him. Uh, I mean, the truth of the matter is he's got something of a point here. It would be a little bit like uh, talking about the professional football league. Uh, and, and, and convening a conference with it and not inviting the NFL, right? Well, I think it's beyond that. I mean, it's not just the omission of Tesla. It's that Biden went sort of above and beyond to, to heap praise onto General Motors and Mary Barra. And, you know, I mean, Biden visited this GM factory in Detroit and he took a spin in an electric Hummer and he said, Detroit's leading the, leading the world in electric vehicles. And he sort of, you know, praised Mary Barra's like leading the revolution. I mean, that is really not fair. Any history of the EV industry knows that GM really fought tooth and nail against Tesla's ability to sell to consumers directly. They had the EV1 program that they shuttered. So it's it's not just that Tesla is like omitted from all of these like pomp and circumstance shows at the White House lawn. It's that like Biden is like heaping praise on GM and and like barely mentioned Tesla at all until we called him out on it. And that's what feels very personal for Musk and that's why going into the selection cycle, like he is not inclined to vote for a man who he has publicly called a damp sock puppet. He's 
extrapolating beyond Biden to in the last midterm, he said, don't vote for Democrats. Right. Yeah, he has indeed gone from Biden um, to, to the whole Democratic Party. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. It might not be fair, uh, but it's it's politics. Um, it's not surprising that Joe Biden, a uh, kind of uh, Democrat who ran on on pro union, you know, uh, bring the jobs back to Detroit type credentials, would go around celebrating uh, union auto shops, especially given you know Elon Musk's history with unions, which we've talked about on the show all the time. And 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 of course, Elon Musk is not used to this. He's not used to to um, dealing with this kind of politician in Joe Biden. And and it again, it's it's surprising to me that he hasn't tried to find a way right. to embrace Bidenomics or whatever you want to call Joe Biden's politics, because, of course, he could. He has a very compelling pitch to offer uh, Democrats if he wanted to. Right. So you're you're basically saying that the chameleonic Musk of years past would have gotten over the the hurt feelings or whatever, and it would just rolled with this. That's what I would have expected. What may be going on here is just that Elon Musk is a lot bigger than he was earlier. So in the old days, you know, any president is going to single out a, uh, you know, American job creator startup from Silicon Valley that's doing pretty well. Suddenly we have this guy who is the world's richest man, who is, you know, has a, a political voice, has spoken out against unions in the past, and that makes him harder perhaps for somebody like Biden or really any presidential candidate to just fully embrace. Especially with the backdrop of income inequality, inflation, people not being able to, you know, afford basic things in their minds, um, even if it's improved. I think he really wants to speak to the working class in America and being really close with the world's richest man is not a good look. And let's be honest, Michigan is critically important to Biden's reelection campaign. The Detroit automakers yeah. are based in Michigan. There is no real value add to cozying up to to a billionaire who has moved to Texas. Yeah, so he right, he's got plants in California, foregone conclusion in elections, and Texas foregone conclusions in election. Michigan, yeah, always, you know, up for grabs, which again comes back to Max's point about chameleonic musk in the past would have just sort of seen it for what it is. But let me throw this at you, Dana. I mean, is it also possible that his ability to to roll with Biden and find a way to become simpatico with him also just perhaps reflects how the pandemic actually really affected him and sort of by him, meaning Elon, and just kind of drove him ideologically further to the right? That's part of it. I, I think what's weird about this is that Biden's Inflation Reduction Act 
heaps billions of dollars onto climate change efforts through everything from like a manufacturing tax tax credit, which Tesla really benefits from, to funding for electric vehicle chargers all over the United States, to like, you know, a 10% credit for refining raw minerals in the U.S., which is why Tesla, you know, now has this lithium refinery in Corpus Christi. So, but, you know, Musk, as much as he likes to, to sort of portray himself as being a self-made man, really does benefit from government programs, uh, government programs designed to combat time, time, climate change. So you would think that there would be some kind of detente where they could put the personal grudge aside and just sort of, you know, move forward and talk about the benefits of the IRA. Uh, but that's that's not happening. And I think what's so what was so wild about this, these clips that we just heard from DealBook is Musk is saying he's not inclined to vote for Biden, but he's not he hasn't yet endorsed a Republican candidate either. And that Republican field is really narrowing. And it's like, what is his game here? Like he sort of, you know, did this big show of coming out with DeSantis. Then he sort of was flirting with Vivek. And but now he's saying he won't he's not inclined to vote for Nikki Haley. So like. Who's left? Like, is Musk going to get behind Chris Christie? <laughs> right. Well, well, Max, you, you describe it like he, he's basically getting behind a handful of rump candidates. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing in that clip that to me is most surprising, his his refusal or hesitancy to say that he would vote for Donald Trump, who is, you know, way, way ahead in the, in the Republican primaries. He's the presumptive nominee. And, and to me, it just shows how politically marooned Musk is. So in, in certain ways, right, okay, he's got, he's got some beef with the Democrats. Fine. That kind of makes sense. But he also has beef with Donald Trump. Trump has responded. How has he responded? Uh, Trump has responded by insulting him back, you know, on the campaign trail. And it's, it's not that surprising because Trump, like Biden, also wants to win over these auto workers, right? They're, they're, they're... I, but I don't think that Musk really works in alliances. I think he works in enemies. And, and I think that the, you know, deciding that Biden and the Democrats are enemies is more important to him than deciding which Republican he wants to align with and support because he needs all of them right now. Like he needs the state based politicians for launching launching his rockets, selling his cars, you know, all of those regulations yeah. around car sales are, are very state oriented. Um, so what's what's the benefit right. to him of making any any like choices he's right got now. a lot of to sarah's point um business interest in florida right i mean let's start back at the beginning right didn't this whole this election cycle start for him with the with the ron DeSantis x launch that went oddly max yeah yeah, yeah he uh ron DeSantis launched his presidential candidacy on x um elon had actually praised DeSantis before i think i believe he, he in fact said he was you know inclined to support DeSantis in 2024 um then elon sort of shifted to vivek ramaswamy as um uh, as dana is saying and he's at times expressed uh you know a little maybe a little curiosity about rfk um uh who's you know was running as a democrat he now. hosted him on a yeah yeah now running spaces. as a, he yes hosted him on x um uh and and rfk of course now running uh as an independent and i think in all these candidates you, you can see why there's appeal to uh for somebody like elon musk now dana tell us how historically involved has he been as a donor and activist? Does he does he plunk down a lot of money in these elections traditionally? No, not not at all. I mean, that's the big thing. Musk is a loud voice, but he is not a big donor. He doesn't have a pack that we know of. Um, he's always like donated very small to both sides of the aisle, but never been a big player in presidential campaigns. He's not 
like a bundler. I mean, there are a lot of big money donors on both sides, you know, who typically give a lot to presidential campaigns, and Musk has never been that way. So that's what's sort of curious to me as we head into 2024. What does an endorsement from Musk even mean? Does he give you money or does he just sort of like platform you on his platform? Well, right. But Sarah, so he that is a pretty big platform, right? Well, this will be this will be the first election where he owns X. There was obviously the midterms where he put his finger on the scale saying, don't vote for Democrats, vote for Republicans. And this presidential election is is going to have obviously much bigger consequences. And he can really shape the narrative however he wants. Um, He's shown us that that he will promote his own tweets. He will, um, you know, decide what content stays and goes, decide when to ban people and how to ban them, um, if at all, and keep them keep them posting. So even though X has declined in advertiser revenue in some of its clout, it still has this this outsized impact on mm. the political conversation because it is the real time network. And so if he if he is open about um, who he's supporting, you can imagine um, that we'd want to know a little bit more about how X is treating that decision, if at all in its algorithm, in its moderation choices, in its advertising choices, um, it could have a big impact. I, just to push back a little bit on what Sarah was saying, like, I think there's always been real questions about how influential Twitter is actually, has actually been on the political po- process. It ha- it definitely gets things in front of journalists. So insofar as there are journalists still on X, which they are to some extent, but not as much as they used to be. Um, there's potential for influence there. But just, you know, counterpoint is Vivek Ramaswamy did really well on on X. Uh, he was embraced by Musk, platformed by Musk, and he has gone absolutely nowhere in the Republican president. Like he's, you know, he's at like something like 5% in, you know, polls in, in Ohio, Iowa and New Hampshire. So I don't know how big the impact really is going to be we you don't just have to think about what he does but what he chooses to not do i think about like what what twitter did after uh the january 6th insurrection they banned trump they um started fact checking people they sort of tamped down the radicalization that was happening not entirely but enough um alongside meta there was like this united front by the platforms um that they that they needed to do you know frankly too little, too late. Uh, but I, I think, as a lot of people thought of it that way, um, but I think that that shows, you know, if you have a platform with fewer rules around political speech, um, as Musk says he cares deeply about, how quickly are people going to radicalize in a situation where they disagree with the outcome? All right, we do indeed need to talk sports. So we'll, uh, we'll segue to there. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Okay, welcome back. So as we've talked about in the past, advertisers have been fleeing X in droves. This topic came up in the deal book interview, and it was the most explosive moment by far. If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Okay, Sarah, so that's the, the landscape out there right now. That's the tone right now between Elon Musk uh, and X uh, versus or vis-a-vis its corporate clients. Uh, but one, curiously, one remains uh, and remains pretty close to X, and that is the National Football League, the NFL. Why? There is a lot of history there. Twitter had a CFO who was the former CFO of the NFL, Anthony Noto. And back around the 2016-2017 era, he created a lot of deals, including a deal for Thursday Night Football to be streamed on X, sorry, Twitter, which is what it was called back then. We've trained you too well, Sarah. You we, you know, it's X. X I know. Right. I just spend too exactly. much time covering this company. But that was that was a big deal because Twitter has a much smaller audience, but at the time it was considered the only place where those kind of real-time conversations occur. Um, if somebody has an amazing touchdown or if somebody gets injured, you are going to see people just just posting about it, even you know out of context, assuming that everyone else on Twitter that they follow or that they are, is in their community is also watching the game. And that made sports more fun. Um, and it, it made it something that was like, you know, the shared experience, even if you weren't watching the game with mm. friends, you could feel like that, that you know, excitement. And, and that community remains. That community doesn't have anywhere to go. I, I mean, I think it's kind of a default. You're on Twitter because, like, that's where your people are. I will say I've seen the NFL start to embrace other platforms more they are they're you know not really finding it doesn't seem like they're finding an alternative either they have to be on x and there's not many brands that that can say that they have to be there still now the nfl is the most dominant sports league in this country and frankly in terms of all entertainment it pretty much dominates the u.s landscape you look at the top eight most watched shows all of last year One through eight are all NFL football games. You look at the top 20 most valuable sports franchises in the U.S., 
15 of the 20. Does this relationship with the NFL at a time when so much is going wrong for X era, is it actually a road to financial viability? Is it something, is it a model they can work off of, or is it ultimately still just too small in, in scale to, to, to add up? Well, I think it's a legacy thing. I don't think it's something that they're building. That's just the default behavior from the years of, of work that Twitter did before. And in fact, what we are seeing is the algorithm is changing on Twitter to be more about entertainment, less about real time. And we've seen Musk embrace memes and, and posts that are maybe a little older, posts from people you may not be following. And so it doesn't seem to me like Twitter being the place where you go to see what's happening in the moment. Yeah is really the thing anymore. You know, see what he has done with news links. He's he's downranked them. I I think that that is that used to be the the soul and heartbeat of Twitter. If it still got that, it's because it's just yeah. nobody else has right. figured it and out. And so to that point, like, that tweak to the to the algo seems very important, right? If in the past, you know, indeed you wanted to know which wide receiver to start in your fantasy league and so uh, tweets on who was injured and who was going to play were enormously important. You needed that information immediately. If that's being downplayed to, to, as, as, as the app becomes more of an entertainment site, that does indeed seem like a, a problem, especially, Max, at a time when gambling uh, is exploding in the U.S. And I was at a game earlier this year, and the guys behind me had ma- were making all these in-game bets, right? And so, like, you need that real-time information, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, like, what Sarah's saying is is right. I mean, it's the platform, it's not as useful for sports as it used to be. Like, I use it all the time to, like, to look gamble? at— No, not to gamble, but oh. to look at, you know, who's starting in, in, in the NFL, to look at soccer transfer news, to figure out if the Mets, which scrub, you know, pitcher the Mets are going to sign next. Don't bring the Mets up here. Um, and and you have to kind of work at it, you know, because because like because Twitter, of the tweaks to the algo. Yeah, because of the tweaks to the algo. But but you can do it. And and the sports influencers, as Sarah's saying, they haven't left. They're still there. And and the thing about sports that is really good for Twitter. Sports is just like an mm. avalanche yeah. of developments, of ups and downs, and and funny stuff you want to react to. So it's sort of perfect for that. And and I think the uh, the gambling thing actually is is a huge gift to Elon Musk because, th- of course, they're having huge problems with uh, all these brand advertisers. Uh, we've seen some announcements about efforts to, you know, go after small businesses. I mean, sports gambling websites, there's a lot of money there. Uh, those are companies well, that- Well, he wants X to be the everything app, right? He's going to ask for your credit card information and he wants you to do payments. So if you can gamble on X, that would be perfect for Elon. Yeah, totally. And and so it, it, it definitely seems like this is something they can work they can build on. I also don't think it's something that's going to go away anytime soon for all the reasons Sarah is saying. Like there isn't another There's no other right. threads isn't better for this. I had I have a question about advertising on X. What's the NBA doing? Because the NBA is so player driven versus owner driven. You have really big names like LeBron James, who used to have huge followings. Like, is he still on X? Um, and is the NBA doing anything around their advertising, or are they still on it as well? Because if we're talking about sort of culture war politics, the NFL and the NBA are just very different. And I'm just sort of curious about that. I haven't seen any recent statements um, from them, but I will say that I thought it was really funny when Musk uh, started this kind of premium verification 
product that he wanted people to buy that actually didn't have anything to do with whether you were who you say you are, he doled it out to some celebrities who were kind of surprised by it and confused about why they got blue checks without paying, um, sort of to create the impression that these celebrities were paying uh, and that it was a cool hit product that you needed to buy. Sarah, last thing before we move on here, X's CEO, Linda Yaccarino, she keeps Xing about, tweeting, Xing, posting. I guess Musk said post is the word he wants us to use. Uh, keeps posting about the NFL and football, but she, she's doing so in a sort of odd way. She'll just post, right, like, football, heart, right? <laughs> like, what, what do we make of the, the Linda Yaccarino football tweets? Uh, posts, I should say. Oh, to get inside her head. I mean, I think that that she is in a tough position right now because uh, she needs to create the impression that Twitter is a place where advertisers want to put their money and that are excited about hanging out and building their communities. And at the same time, she is dealing with an owner and CTO who is um, doing everything in his power to to alienate some advertisers, including um, telling some of them at the deal book conference to go F themselves and um, you know, specifically calling out Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney, which was a, a very major advertiser for Twitter for a long time. So yeah, she's got to take what she can get. We've got to talk Cybertruck again. Uh, the launch was last week. We spent a fair amount of time talking about it last week, and then they launched two days later. I'm going to go around the room here, uh, and I want everyone to hit me with one thought they had. We'll start with our Tesla expert, Dana Hall. Why was Elon standing in the dark on stage? It was a very, very weird, underwhelming, short presentation. <laughs> Okay. And do we have a theory, Dana, as to why he was standing in the dark on stage? To be fair, I have not been invited to a Tesla event in a while, but I have been to them in the past and they were like showstoppers. They were like these very highly orchestrated L.A. high production value, incredible events like the Model 3 launch, the semi-truck launch. They were awesome. And then watching this on the live stream, I'm like, okay, this is very underwhelming the big thing people want to know are price and range. Elon Musk did not talk about either during his 20-minute presentation. It was all it was like showing video clips of performance, but well, nothing about the key. Well, maybe specs. because the price is maybe because the price is higher than they had it indicated it would be, and, and the, the range, range is, is lousier. Lower. Yeah. Right. So those are probably two. All right, Sarah Fryer. I mean, this thing just doesn't seem that safe. Like maybe for the driver, but. If you're on the road and a Cybertruck's coming at you, I just wouldn't want to be, I don't know. So I'm with you. Like, as I look at that thing, the epiphany I had over the weekend, this thing is all stainless steel and it's built like a missile. No, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty dangerous. I mean, our former colleague, Sean O'Kane had a great point. This is like EV for doomers. I mean, they made this kind of feeling during the whole presentation that this is a vehicle that you right. can drive on Mars or other planets. Yeah. This is the vehicle for escaping the apocalypse. It's like, you know, when when everything goes to hell in a handbasket, this is the vehicle that you want to be in. But what in your car turns into the the weapon that will smash the zombies out of your way, right? Yeah, that was definitely the vibe. That's but that's like not good for reality. That's 
there are, you know, kids playing on the street yeah. and stuff. That, so, um, Sarah, you and I are aligned here. Um, so, Max, that leaves you. So, I was just going to say, like, I am very conflicted on this because, like, I'm a cyclist and a and a runner. And on the other hand, like, a truck that smashes zombies, like, it doesn't. I I see the appeal. Oh. Um, I and but anyway, the thing that the thing that I was surprised by, which is actually related to this, is that this truck is not going to be legal, street legal in Europe because European regulators, for safety reasons, require. Um, trucks to have rounded edges, like totally, and and so like they can't, you can't even sell this thing in Europe, which I hate to say it, kind of increases the appeal for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, contrarian in you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, the other thing that I find just head scratching is the steering thing. Like, I read a review. Uh, top, there's a Top Gear review of the of the truck. It's largely positive, but it it really doesn't like the steering. The this drive by wire system where you can't turn the wheel. You know, you're you're turning the wheel sort of very small distances to get it to 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 turn and which is a, a feature in high-end sports cars but which the top gear testers said was weird um especially at slow speeds so uh they're out there people are driving them already dana is that correct yeah i mean tesla turned over what like 12 of them to the first customers uh last thursday night um you know uh, we'll see in january how many they actually deliver in december but yeah people have them uh you know some automotive journalists got early access to them some influencers were able to drive them the other thing that's really interesting is there's this whole product mm. called the range extender which you can buy for sixteen thousand dollars that will add vehicle range to the battery but they didn't talk about that during the presentation either. And that's like a big thing for a company that's kind of known for making the best range batteries in the business to come out with a product that, you know, if you really want the range that was promised four years ago, you've got yeah. to buy this $16,000 like thing that um, gets it gets embedded into the back of your cab. People are bummed out about that. It seems un-Tesla-like. Uh, um, so, all right, well, we'll see. We'll see how this uh, Cybertruck uh, does. Thanks for listening to Elon Inc. And thanks to our panel, Sarah, Dana, Max. Great to be here. See you next week. Thanks for having us. This episode was produced by Stacey Wong. Naomi Shaven and Rehan Harmansi are our senior editors. The idea for this very show also came from Rehan. Blake Maples handles engineering, and we get special editing assistance from Jeff Grocott. Our supervising producer is Magnus Henriksen. Thanks a bunch to Business Week editor Joel Weber. The Elon Inc. theme is written and performed by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiyura. Sage Bauman is the head of Bloomberg Podcast and our executive producer. I am David Papadopoulos. If you have a minute, rate and review our show. It'll help other listeners find us. See you next week. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.